0: and welcome to a special edition a bonus episode of Director's Club <laughs> in which I periodically have conversations or interviews all about pop culture not just about movies and directors but my other passion which is music and for those who recall I did briefly have a spin-off show called Voices and Visions but that is defunct everything is all under one Umbrella now known as Directors Club and I also now have a Substack, which is cool, Uh, trying to keep up with that in the midst of everything else but uh, yeah, as most people know that listen to this show and subscribe I go back 30 years with two film critics earlier in the year and then around the summertime I I go back uh, again 30 years to analyze a particular year in music which results in a top 10 list of favorite records from all three of us started this, uh, geez, back in 2015 with mr dan solomon of course and now we have jason as well on board and this is really exciting uh yeah first i just wanted to say that um dan here a great austin-based journalist author and friend he has a new book coming out and i want him to talk all about it hey hey dan how you doing man i'm doing good gentlemen Yay! It's good to have you back. We'll talk briefly about your book in a second here, but let's also welcome back to the show Mr. Jason Simpson. Hey, hello. Yes, you are an incredible pop culture writer yourself, and your work can be found at forestpunk.wordpress.com and elsewhere, I presume?
1: Uh, Yeah, all all over the place. Uh, These days, I I write for tons of different people, but there's this website called uh, Spectrum Culture, Mm. who... I kind of am doing the majority of my cultural coverage for these days. Mostly, still mostly music, um, but I I do I get to write about uh, books and movies over over there also.
0: Sweet, and and just have
1: things coming out all the time as we do.
0: Yes, we're we're all busy people, but (laughs) I I am so proud and excited for what Dan has managed to put out and create, and it's just, it's, it was inevitable, I think, that he was going to write a book because, well, he's written books in the past, and they were certainly more of the, like, chapbook variety from, from what I recall anyway, <laughs> from, from years ago, and certainly when we went on some adventures, uh, you, you were promoting some of the books that you had written, but you have put out officially a young adult fiction book, correct, Dan?
2: Yeah, yeah, well, uh, it'll be out uh, June 20th, so uh, nice. I don't know when this episode airs. Maybe it's already on the shelves, but uh, but yeah, very soon.
0: Wonderful. Tell us what it's all about. Sure. It's, uh, so it takes place at the Texas
2: State Capitol on the day of Wendy Davis' filibuster of the uh, Texas Abortion Laws of 2013. Um, and if that doesn't sound like a super compelling topic for a young adult book, I get it. Um, but the book is also really kind of a, a you know, small stakes story about a, a teenage boy trying to find himself and figure out who he wants to be and how he wants to show up for the people in his life and, uh, and how that kind of dovetails with what's going on at the Capitol that day.
0: Wow. It's ambitious. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I, I guess initially I was a little surprised that you you went the young adult fiction route because a lot of your writing in the past was you know like essays and personal writing from personal experience. So this was this was exciting to see you uh, take on this idea and 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 you know fully bring it into fruition like this. This is great.
2: Thanks. Yeah, um, you know I have always enjoyed talking with and uh hearing from and you know just like having a, a role with young people so writing something that was really specifically intended for them just made sense to me. Um sure. So yeah that was kind of the idea.
0: Well I'm gonna make sure that it is uh on display when it comes out over in the uh well we we, we kind of like separate everything in our library of course you know like there's the children's section There's the teen, now it's called like Media, where they get to go in and actually they get to use GarageBand or they get to make art or they get to, you know, do all sorts of cool, fun things that I wish we had (laughs) back in the day. Uh, As much as I loved our local library, we were mostly just there to check out CDs and cassettes and and vinyl uh, and certainly read books. But we didn't have like a a little tiny recording studio to actually go and use, but our library does. And... They always have really great displays. And once your book comes out, I know the head of that department. I'm just going to be like, make sure you put this book uh, in in display in front of eyes. So hopefully some teens will be compelled to check it out because I'm I'm excited to read it, too, for sure. Mm -hmm. But congrats. Huge congrats on that. Yeah. Um, So as for me, uh, I'm still making music, but (laughs) for the most part, I, I kind of sat back and went, I don't know if I want to record originals for a little while. I'm going to just like sit back on that. And I want to pay tribute to – I mean, I've always recorded covers. I mean, geez, is am going all the way back to probably when I started writing songs? But I want to pay tribute to some of the songwriters out there who turned me into a musician or a music fan, uh, starting with um, – this new first full length record of all covers featuring one artist. And I started with uh, Matthew sweet mm-hmm. and the record is called 100% sweet appropriately titled <laughs> featuring 12 tracks that he's written over the years, including a, a kind of a long lost demo that I, I, I came across and was like, wow, I wish he would have put this song out. It's beautiful. Oh. So yeah, I had a great time making it and it's over at garden on a trampoline It'll be linked in the show notes and I hope you'll give it a listen. If you have 45 minutes to spare, because it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed making it. So that's exciting.
1: Oh <laughs> well, yeah. It's a really good record. I, I, I said that in a message, but uh, yeah, I, thank you. I, I I love it. I think it's great. And I think it's some of your best work personally. Yeah,
0: I know. Sometimes I, I really struggle with lyrics. So I'm like, somebody else should just do all that. (laughs) Exactly. You know? And I, I I just feel really good about like, even just the production of it and having real drums. I mean, to me, like that makes a big difference. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was it was a lot of fun and I might do this like as a yearly project like just cuz cho- I know Juliana Hatfield has started to do this where oh, every few years she like records an entire album of like her favorite songs by a favorite artist. Oh cool. Like I know she's got Electro like uh ELO, Electric Light Orchestra, yeah. that's her next yeah. one coming out soon. Yeah. So you said um,
2: Williams does a great series of this too.
0: Oh yeah. 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 I have to find that. That's really cool. That's cool.
3: Yeah
2: We doing this with all the ladies Ace Town boys Kicking it with my boy Luke For the 9-3 you know what I'm saying Cause we will be knocking the boots G.I. Shazam Dino They're going to do a little something for you, real sexy-like, you know what I'm saying?
0: (laughs) So we're going to skip over like personal memories of 1993, because as we kind of know, a lot of those just sort of come out throughout the course of the conversation when we reveal our list of favorites, and of course, we don't want this to go on too long, so we're just going to launch right into it, guys. I'm I'm so stoked, because this was a really strong year, and it might have been my favorite in terms of going back. Like just re-listens. It might have been my favorite that we've done, and I probably have said that before, but (laughs) this time it's very true. I think so. um, We're gonna go through our top ten favorite records of 1993, and then uh, run down like a you know brief list of honorable mentions if you got them. We'll go Dan, Jason, then myself. So, Dan, what is your number ten record of 1993?
2: Number 10, I have the soundtrack to the mostly forgettable uh, 1993 film Judgment Night.
0: Ooh, good choice. Ooh, good choice. Good
2: choice. Hey, yo, kids. What's up? Remember when I used to be dope? Yeah. I own a pocket full of fame. Um, which is a really remarkable collection of songs. Um, and it's kind of a twofer cause I was stuck on whether I wanted to, if I had room for uh, black Sunday by Cypress Hill on this list mm. and I didn't, but Cypress Hill does have two songs on judgment night. Oh. Um, so, uh, the record, if you're not familiar with it, it's a collaboration. Every, every song is a collaboration between a rock band and a rap group. Um, So we've got Cypress Hill uh, does one with Pearl Jam and one with Sonic Youth. Um, You've got Slayer with Ice-T. You've got uh, House of Pain and – who is it with House of Pain? Uh, Anyway. I think uh, it's
0: Helmet, right? Helmet, yes.
2: Yes. Uh, House of Pain and Helmet. You've got uh, Teenage Fan Club and
0: De La Soul do
2: one. Um, That's
0: probably my favorite song on that album
2: it's a really great song and the thing that i really love about it is that it's such a like you know rap rock came out pretty hard when it started um you know and you have like rage against the machine and uh you know stuff that was kind of coming out of that same you had anthrax and public enemy and and stuff like that and what i really love about the judgment night soundtrack, like that stuff is there you know the the Slayer Ice D song goes hard, Biohazard and Onyx go hard. Um, but you also have uh, the stuff that's just a little more whimsical, like like Teenage Fan Club and De La Soul, or uh, you know, even the, the Sonic Youth uh, Cypress Hill song, uh, I Love You Mary Jane, like it's yeah. it's not trying to it, it, it it's from a time when this kind of thing, when putting rock and, and hip hop together uh, was a lot of possibilities and it became something a little bit more specific and defined over time mm. but in the, a, at this point it was really playful and that's what I really love about this this record
0: yeah i remember the first like example of this was when was it was it 91 that that public enemy record came out and they had anthrax join them for bring the noise
2: yeah,
3: yeah.
0: Yeah, that was like the first time I think I came across that, you know, meshing of of styles, and then this sort of just sort of really kickstarted it all in a major way, uh, and just really weird collaborations that you wouldn't expect to work, like Dinosaur Junior. and Dell the Funky Homo Sapien. Yeah. Right? It's just nuts. You wouldn't think it works, but it does really well.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, everybody's just in a really collaborative space. I think. Yeah. yeah. There's. It's just. It's a lot of fun. Like. And it is. You know, it fits the you know, the movie's kind of a piece of shit, but it's uh it's still you know, it kinda fits what they're going for there. This kind of post apocalyptic or apocalyptic, I suppose, uh, you know, early nineties thing. So yeah, I'm 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 a fan.
0: Yeah, the movie's bad, but I still kinda like it. (laughs) Uh just because it's like, I don't know, trashy dumb fun and like, oh god, Dennis Leary is a gang leader, right? That's very believable. (laughs)
2: yeah yeah who wouldn't follow that guy uh to the end of
0: the year <laughs> i would join that gang sure
1: how about you jason what's your number 10 all right so uh this might be the closest to um previous years this is this is my my typical sort of like hipster contribution and then i imagine that we might we might there's probably gonna be a little bit more overlap as the uh, as the, uh, oh, yeah. the list pr- progresses but uh I do feel that I would be remiss to to not mention or include um so my number ten is um uh t- t- the album uh tubula rasa by einstrasnda Neubauten Oh boy, which came came out in nineteen ninety three, and uh, it's, I mean, it, t- frankly, it's one of the, like I mean, definitely, maybe t- top 500, 500 albums of all time. Perhaps it, it, would, it it's, it, it is a, a notable achievement at that at that level. So it's a, um, I, I couldn't not in- include it, and it's just, it's just too, too good. And, um, it's so for, uh, and there will probably be plenty that are not familiar with, with, with this, with this record. Uh, so, so, but this is, um, so I present Neubauten being a a very famous uh, German, like industrial in the truest sense of the word, uh, which which is that they, they play like industrial, like, you know, power tools and stuff. Um, and Tabula Rasa is, uh, but it was the record where they kind of, where they, they sort of left that behind. Like the, the, this is this is the, the the moment when they ceased being just like a sort of a gritty kind of post-punk. Uh, the way I described it was a gritty post-punk art terrorists and um, moved into... Being a, I described it as an art pop, uh, as 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 a, a very uh, sophisticated art pop um, ensemble, and it's um, it's it's very uh, it's it's surprisingly beautiful. Like it's 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 really it's a really lovely record. There's some there's some like like love songs on it. There's song song called Bluma, which is just like works really well on sort of like a romantic mixtape or playlist or, um, whatever. But, um, but then it's still, it's still got their industrial like textures, but they're, uh, sort of mixed in, which I think is, um, part of why I I do feel that it needed to be mentioned because, um, it, that, that interesting blend of, uh, sort of avant-garde sort of like, um experimentation mixed with like good musicianship and songwriting it's a pretty solid pretty solid would
0: one. you say this is their most accessible record then i would
1: yeah okay. well and i would say i would say accessible but like but like uh, purest because like the this is because two albums that came out like immediately after this are like uh, silence is sexy and um one like right after, oh, Perpetua Mobile around the t- turn of the century. Um, both those albums were um, also pretty popular, mm. um, but they kind of went, they kind of went further and further, kind of more into the pop, pop spectrum. Like as time time went on, this is like the true halfway point between their their older, kind of harsher, you know, noise and. and you know, sort of post-punk kind of stuff with, like, legitimate, like, good pop music.
0: Oh, cool. I got to explore their discography a little bit further. I actually have a, a good friend of mine. Her husband just, like, loves this stuff. Mm. And I I just never explored it maybe because, again, like, oh, I need the hooks, right? <laughs> For yeah. the most part. Right. But I'm still curious about it in terms of like on a, a production level, the kind of things they do. So mm-hmm. um I will definitely look into this record because I'm curious. But mm-hmm. uh Dan, you mentioned earlier and certainly that Judgment Night soundtrack would have been like almost a perfect segue had I gone next. But my uh number ten is De La Soul with Balloon Mind State. Yeah, cool. And it's it's a it's a record that was kind of hard to find. I don't even think it was like on Spotify for a while or whatever reason. I mean again, maybe it's because of the sampling being so plentiful or, or whatnot, maybe they didn't have all the rights to, to to put it out. Uh but I think recently there has been a 2023 remaster of it. Of course. Ego 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 Mercy. Ego
3: Mercy.
2: you how you do I got to make the merry-go-round and around yeah all of their stuff got uh was was they were like the last holdouts on streaming until this year and then they re-released every they reissued everything uh right before true guy died um right they, yeah they it was like the della la Renaissance and then he fucking died which was horrible. Um, But Mm -hmm. you have this, uh, suddenly their music, which had been just missing for, you know, decades, uh, or, you know, at least like a solid decade, they got reissued on vinyl and finally got put on streaming so people can really discover it.
0: I hope they do, because this is a remarkable record that um, I probably, again, like, I think what's interesting for me is going back and listening to this era, because, you know, from junior high school, I was just so into, you know things like the Beastie Boys and Public Enemy, just like your typical mainstream rap. Uh, and then once once I became a freshman in high school, I just transformed into somebody who listened to hip hop into someone who mainly just listened to guitar heavy grunge and alternative rock.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, And it was just that it was just maybe it's because of the cultural impact and everything that something like Nirvana had. but I just became less interested in hip hop. But when I go back and listen to you know hip hop from the ni- early '90s, I kind of go, gosh, this would have been something I would have just eaten up had I just <laughs> suddenly didn't close the door to this style for for so long because this is really something I something else in terms of production, of course. But it it it, it stays consistent even as it's evolving throughout. I, that's what I love about it, and it incorporates, of course, a lot of jazz elements and very interesting samples that. Uh, I'm trying to think of one. Um, like, I has this sample of You Made Me So Very Happy by uh, Lou Rawls. Mm. That is, like, just the piano of that being, you know, throughout the song is just a really smart sample to go with the the kind of things that they're rapping about. Uh, because this this is also them kind of getting a little disillusioned with the music industry. And they sort of convey that throughout this album, you know, listening to it more in depth, I was just like, wow, they have, they have a lot to say, you know, it's not all just fun and games. <laughs> you know, there's, it's, it gets surprisingly introspective and a little dark at times, but you know, that's still fun. You still got Biz Marquee on here, <laughs> you know, that it's still, they still knew how to make a satisfying, enjoyable rap song while also having some sort of commentary throughout. Um, like the, there's that song, Patty Duke, which really shows them like having this contempt for the music industry. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like ego tripping is such a jam. It starts off with those screams and I'm just like, yeah. oh, this is, it's so good. It's such, it's just a record that's full of surprises while also kind of staying true to what makes them so great and engaging and smart. Uh, so yeah, I just, I love this album. I, I wish I'd, Discovered it sooner. I th- it's more of a recent discovery for me, but I just I'm so glad now people can go out and listen to it because it's really special. It really is. So that's why it's my number ten.
1: Live it's to go. Lyrics to go. it's to go.
2: Live it's to go. Live it's to go.
1: Of different... At number nine, uh, for me, I can uh, kind
2: of continue along that line. I've got Midnight Marauders by a tribe called Quest. Um, oh, sure. Great choice. Which, you know, speaking of these kind of loose, uh, socially conscious rap albums of the early 90s you know i I think it's interesting because like this is 93 is such a inflection point year across genres like um you know for rock music it's i think the first year that you really started hearing things that were sort of post nirvana where people were trying to do nirvana as opposed Mm. to uh you know just sort of riding the wave that was coming that way And in hip hop, what you were hearing was, uh, sort of the last, the last year where you could have a record like midnight marauders that kind of transcended the, the way that, that hip hop was going to be broken down regionally, um, and stylistically so that you had people who were, you know, you had gangster rap that did not talk to pop rap, you know, and, uh, you know, you had kind of underground backpacky stuff that did not talk to either of those. And, uh, midnight runners is kind of, a I don't know. It feels like, like part of the last gasp of records that could just be for everybody that had you mm. know, this real wide crossover appeal. Um, yeah, because it's a, it's a, I mean, it's an incredible record. Uh, the sound has that kind of, you know, heavy bass, low end thing going on. Um, that they started doing on the last album, uh, but you know they've also got it. Just yeah, I don't know. It it uh, it speaks on a couple of different levels. Um, it's socially conscious, but it's not corny or preachy, or you know, sort of where things ended up going as people were who were maybe less artistic or less uh, qualified to you know to do that sort of thing. Got inspired by Q Tip and, and Five dog uh, it, It's like the yeah kind of the early recipe of it um it doesn't sound dated the way that some 90s like early 90s stuff does uh yeah just a great record just yeah just uh uh, yeah just like it's it's remarkable to look at what a tribe called quest did throughout their career but especially this era um where yeah it's just all you know yeah it's it's all all championship quality stuff they're like the you know the 93 bulls or 93 triple quest are, uh, you know, just kind of on the same, the same wavelength there.
0: I keep meaning to see the documentary. I think Michael Rappaport made it. Yeah, he did. He did. He's a big yeah. fan. Yeah. I should, I should check that out sometime. I'd be curious about their trajectory, you know, and their mm. career as like a narrative would be interesting to see. Yeah. All right, Jason, what's number nine for you? And,
1: uh, we're saying uh, before I get into it to, to that uh, I I kind of figured I you guys you guys are I was sort of hoping that you guys might sort of fill in some of the blanks like some of these I think you got two of them already like both those hip hop records I was like I was like oh god I wish I had room for all of this so I I feel like this between all of our you know list combined we might end up get with the the top you know, 30 best albums. Yeah. The definitive uh, list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I don't know, this one might end up on either of your guys. I don't know if this is to your taste necessarily or not. Um, I think this is a real surprise is that it's, it's perhaps not higher on my list, but my number nine is, uh, uh tools undertow. Sure. Um, which is, uh, a s sort of funny. Uh, my list is kind of like, is about 40% reflective of like what I actually listened to in 1993. And then um, the the rest being, cause like I had to, I to tried to be somewhat semi-objective and just be like, yeah, well these, these records are like, you know, objectively better. Um, so I, I, but tool uh, undertow was one. I, I liked, like I, I was listening to, and then that was like, kind of like early uh, foray into um, into metal which wouldn't fully take into like take me a good a good additional 10 years to um you know my 20s is when I, I finally started you know got more into into metal um but then this one was like i, I didn't rank it higher because i do i, I did some it, it's i feel that it's still relevant and it still holds up but i do think that it is a bit dated and it it is a little bit of um like it sounds like it's from 1993 um yeah which i also find just like slightly intriguing it's like kind of a it's like it's it's definitely an interesting and um useful snapshot of uh, it's like kind of like almost like art metal kind of i don't know like there was um at the time there had been, been bands like like prong or like uh, uh, filter, uh, these sorts of, uh, but anyway, like I'm sort of struck. I was listening back to it and uh, like, it holds up very well, but like, I'm, it's just, it's, it's like a legitimately like, like unpleasant record though. (laughs) Like (laughs) he talks about and the sentiments that I'm just like, I was like, it's, it's like, it's kind of, it's kind of like sort of brutal and like, kind of, kind of ugly. Like, I, um, but I also, I sort of appreciate, and this, this was the part that felt like definitively nineties and especially like early nineties, which is that, that there were, there's no, there's no good, there's no real good guy in this like scenario. Like they're like, like he's, like he's like kind. He's probably somewhat excluding himself from some of the, the issues that he's talking about, but it's mostly just kind of like we're all like super like complicit. Like it's I don't know. I, I found I found the lack of like clear morals like kind of uh, striking. You know? mm. and, and, and and I don't know. You got songs like like prison sex or something, and it's just like it's just. Yeah, kind of, kind of like ugly and unpleasant, which, in in a in a way that feels definitively '90s and '90s metal. Um, and then of course it's you know sober being sort of the, the, the breakthrough. Pop.
0: That was a breakthrough.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. And what a weird um. That's got to be one of the strangest, just sort of, kind of, kind of darkest, uh, um, pop. You know, like smash... like hits of like ever like what a weird you know in the video and stuff
0: yeah Yeah, that was like a part of the mtv's buzz bin
1: yeah right exactly it's just pretty just dark and sort of unsettling and it's just self-loathing but it hates everybody else too and
3: uh, (laughs)
0: No, enough. it's it, I, I certainly those two singles and the videos that came with them certainly had me intrigued enough. Um, but to me, like this, this felt like a debut, and I, this is going to come up later for mm. me too, where it's like this is a solid debut. But then what they came out with after, like sp- the next record, was when yeah. they I think found their true voice and right. really kind of blew me away uh, even more. But no, there's no denying the impact of, that this had at the time for sure. Um, and something completely different for me, yeah. a little unexpected, but uh, at, at the same time, hey, I, I can admit once in a while, I just I want something that's easy to listen to. And that's, yeah. um, number nine is Willie Nelson's across oh, the dude. borderline. Oh, nice. Which um, you know, from <laughs> it's funny to go from some hip hop to some country because country was just not something I listened to at all. Around this time in the early 90s. In fact, it was one of those things where if my aunt or my dad was listening to it, I just kind of go, oh, I can't do I can't do it. I can't do this genre. This is not for me. I don't like it. I mean, the problem was is that they were mostly listening to contemporary country and, you know, things like Garth Brooks. But after a while, I started to discover Willie Nelson or Chris Christopherson or Waylon Jennings or Johnny Cash, of course. And then suddenly I was really hooked. I I found the rawness, the vulnerability, and just everything about you know, kind of just what was missing <laughs> from from contemporary country. Like it just there, there was something really special and honest and, and 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 genuine about what Willie Nelson was doing. And it's it's crazy to think like that. Yeah, this album was produced by Don Was, and you and you got the um, the title track. You know that was written by Ray Cooter, and he's here and. You know, you got um, just. I think what really intrigued me to listen to this album was just seeing the collaborators and the duets that were on here. Um, I I just was like, wow! I had no idea that he did a cover of Peter Gabriel's "Don't Give Up" with Sinead O'Connor. I I didn't. I, it was a recent. Like, oh my god, how did I not know that? So I listened to this whole thing. It was just, I was floored. I think the only song I really had heard before was um, "Getting Over You," which is just like a perfect breakup ballad with Bonnie Raitt.
3: These are the things I say But they're so hard to do Like getting over you You, you gotta, gotta believe that there's a reason, reason That we surrender up our heart Time to find where you can see how all the pieces fit as you watch them fall
0: apart. Um, yeah, and I just, you know, you got Paul Simon. He covers a Paul Simon song and Paul Simon duets with him on um, American Tune, you know, and it's just, it is, it is just exactly what you'd expect, but it's just everything's done right. The arrangements, the vocals, um, it all just sort of comes together seamlessly and you know certainly like a lot of albums from this era pushing an hour can feel a bit long but you're still into it the entire way through and it's it's a lot of it has to do with just his choice of collaborators here and you kind of go yeah this all just flows this all just works he's really doing um something special with you know not only just covering these songs but the the, the originals he does I mean, this just sounds like a strong example of what he does so well, and I know he's made tons of albums, and this is not necessarily one of the more definitive ones, like something you know, like "Always on My Mind" was. But I just adore this thing; I really do. I it's 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 kind of again like another gateway into like, oh God, I got to listen to more Willie Nelson after hearing this. So yeah, I, I just love that this album came out at this time, and again, I certainly wasn't listening to it then, but I love it now.
2: I think there are a lot of really uh, in particular, I mean, cause he's got something in the neighborhood of 60 records. Like, Oh my God. This, yeah. This is insane. Like no one, no one knows them all. Well, Like, it's, it's hard to do that unless Willie's the only person you listen to, um, you know, but there, what I like about this record and about him generally is that there's like this kind of base level of just good, like just a quality Willie record that, it doesn't have to be one of his, you know, definitive records uh, to still be great when you have that much output.
0: Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And there's just like so many great musicians contributing. I think even Chris Christopherson shows up and I mean, that makes sense yeah, that he would, but still, when you look at like just the, when you go on Wikipedia and look at the personnel listing and you're like, Oh my God, that person's on here. That person's on here. That person's on here. And it's just like, yeah, you can see why this all came together so beautifully. And um, yeah, I just I just loved it. I love listening to this, and we'll do so more in the future. Okay, let's move on. What's number eight, Dan? Okay, so I'm not going to talk a lot about this record, because I suspect
2: that uh, probably both of you have it higher on your list. Um, but uh, for number eight, I've got uh, In Utero uh, by Nirvana. Um, sure, sure, sure. Which... Is basically like this year ninety three is such a, like this was the hardest I've ever like this has been the hardest year that we've done to mm-hmm. try and narrow things down like this is just such an exceptional year that like honestly everything from here on out is like there there it's like not really one through eight so much as it's like one a one b one c one d etc. Um, because these are just like, in utero really might be my eighth, like it is my eighth favorite record of the year, but it's like one of my, I don't know, hundred favorite records ever. Um, It's (laughs) just such a good year for, for music. Um, And yeah, like I, I, there are records that I love that aren't even on my list because uh, it's just such a a packed year. And like, what was going on in, in 93? I don't know. Like, I think what i really enjoy about doing this podcast every year is the chance to really be like wow there was something in the water in 93 like there was just something going on that uh yeah everybody was really bringing some of their their absolute best work so in utero in utero is one of my favorite records and it's number eight
0: killer choice it will come up later i yeah i have
2: no doubt
3: on the block, you know what I'm saying? Yo, so they came around looking for you the other day. Word, word, word bussy. Informer, you know say so that I'm a stomach of lamb. I'll keep on bomb. Lamb. Take the mind that they say so that I'm a stomach somebody. Okay,
0: Jason. All You're right. Up.
1: And uh so in this one, I don't know. If- i feel like jim you might you might possibly have this one i don't i don't know I don't, dan i'm not sure if you have any love for this record or not um but this one is like st- still in the realm of of my actual taste in 1993 but my number eight is um depeche modes songs of faith and devotion
0: oh yeah that's so good it's in my honorable mentions
1: yeah. okay yeah right see mm-hmm. that's what i'm saying but like between all of our lists like well we'll get we'll get a good chunk between between all of us i'm almost like like oh yeah well so like let me as usual sort of rep for the sort of like gothy kind of (laughs) like dark rock kind of um but uh it really this man this record like beyond holds up like it is it is like it is incredibly like it's it's shelf life is is just a little absurd and uh um, I I might I don't I might fire shots over the bow and say that this is Depeche Mode's best record. Um, I but, think you might be right, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I know that's sacrilege to Depeche. I mean, Mode's it's band. either
0: this or Violator for me. Yeah, I mean.
1: for, yeah, De Violator. That would be a, a you know, like probably a head to head kind of like, yeah. But I just I, I like I like them as like a dark rock band, like like so much. More like I hate to say it, but more than, uh, than, um, than a, as a, a synth pop band, like I don't know, this, like, sort of like moody, sort of juke joint, bar rock kind of like, um, it is, uh, and then this is like, and it's actually appropriate too, because I, I think I mentioned this in the email too, but today is the 30th anniversary of the second time that I saw. I saw Depeche Mode. <laughs> so I I saw Depeche Mode on June 11th, 1993. Wow. With uh, uh I don't know who else was on the bill? But it was P- 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 Primal Scream. They played with Primal Scream. It, a, it must have been rather, fun. Jeez. It it really was. It was it was, it was a fun, it was a fun show. It was at the World, which I don't care much for for as a venue, but it, um uh, yeah, and I don't know, like it's just like I don't under it's such a strange it's such a strange like development from them like why did why on earth did they go to like a moody like blues rock band for like one album like i don't i don't know <laughs> what was going on in their personal well i mean probably a lot of heroin i would imagine <laughs> um, uh,
0: no that that first single i feel you i had no i like i had no idea what that was when i first heard it I was like
1: what is right? this yeah right exactly It's like, it's like very fresh. Like it sounds, um, truly a, a, a classic record. I would say.
0: Yeah. No, I... I have never listened to this record before in my entire life. Really?
1: Wow. Yeah. You would really like but, this one. I bet Dan, I think you would too. Okay. Yeah. I've never liked that guy's
2: voice, so yeah, I sure. haven't paid much time for him, yeah, but, uh, sure. but yeah, I, I, I'm intrigued.
0: Yeah. yeah I'm, I feel like the, I, one of my first shirts I ever got, I think it was either the New Order Republic shirt or "I Feel You" Depeche Mode. Like oh, I, I, those, those were two of the first shirts I ever bought. I don't know where I bought them. I could have even been at Music Express for all I remember. But yeah. Yeah. I was just like, all right, I don't, I don't know what this "I Feel You" song is, but I kind of love it because it's so weird and there's no there's no synth i'm like where's the synth that's what you kind of expect for depeche mode right yeah but it was really oh such a weird first single but great i know yeah totally speaking of great number eight is jellyfish spilt milk They're like kind of I almost think of this even though like at the time they I think they lost one of their members and they turned into like a trio. It, it, it was like a supergroup in a way because Roger Manning and Andy Sturmer were two of the best pop songwriters at that time. Their debut uh, belly button was something that even my dad just immediately rushed out to buy after hearing a couple of singles on WXRT. And the moment this album was released, I rushed out and bought it because I really loved Belly Button. And it might still be one of the – I mean, this was definitely a cassette like that I bought and held on to because it was pink. <laughs> and I've held on to it all these years probably for sentimental reasons, um, mainly because, I mean, one of my first crushes, <laughs> uh, you might remember her, Michelle. I don't. I don't think she went to our school. I think she went to a different – high school. Or maybe she did go to our high school. I can't remember now. Uh, maybe she was a year older. Anyway, um, she just loved jellyfish. And I didn't know a lot of people who loved jellyfish. So that's kind of how we connected. Um, but the production on this was just really ambitious. It 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 is like on the level of pet sounds at times because they're using, you know, choirs and children singing together strings and brass and flutes and harpsichords just like it it felt like they just wanted to put everything that they've ever wanted to do into one album and just like out came this crazy like milkshake smoothie of just pop goodies and you know certainly that you could tell their influences like Beatles and Queen and Supertramp and Big Star and Beach Boys all these things like as you're listening to this album you can go yeah I've heard this before I've heard that before but yet it's still original um they even have a love song to their dick um, called He's My Best Friend, and somehow it works. I don't know. I li- <laughs> you never would think that, and yet yeah, it's it's funny and cute and just like it, it gets stuck in your head. It's really great. <laughs> Um, I had no idea at the time when I was – I didn't even think about the fact that it was about their dick um, when I first heard it. But now you hear it and I'm like, oh, well, duh. It's very obvious. But, yeah, like John Bryan shows up. This is like an early appearance from him. And it's a really good summer record. It's a good album to just put on, you know, while you're outside walking around. and It, it, it puts me in a good mood. It's not deep, you know, or in any way. Like, I don't know if I – ever really get teared up listening to this album, but I just, it just makes, it, it just feels right. Like it just, everything that I kind of love about the records that my dad was listening to or the stuff I grew up listening to when I was a kid is kind of like all in this, uh, you know, new mistake is one of the best singles of the year. It's just all kind of great polished pop songwriting that it's kind of unexpected that it goes into some like weird territory So, but I understand like some people being turned off because it does get whimsical at times. Like I mentioned with that idea, but also just suddenly it kind of veers into like circus music or something. You're just like, what the hell? (laughs) So your mileage might vary in terms of like, oh, this is a little too sweet and syrupy and silly, but I just love it all. I loved, I love jellyfish. I wish they hadn't broken up, but they did put out two great records. And this one is actually the best of the two for me.
2: Interesting. This is another record I've never listened to in my entire life.
0: Uh, I recommend it.
2: So, okay. I uh, yeah, I'll make time for it. Um, at number seven, uh, and again, this is all like pulling. Yeah, it's it, every one of these choices is like pulling teeth. Uh, but I've got uh, "In on the Kill Taker" by Fugazi. Oh, sick. Um, oh,
0: of course. Which,
2: yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, it is not their most accessible album to be sure. Uh, but I think that's kind of one of the things I like about it. Um, it's occasionally really alienating and occasionally really beautiful. And, uh, it is interested in being both of those things kind of all the time. Uh, it's, I don't know. I, I think it's really interesting where it fits within kind of what was going on. Like, uh, you know, punk rock was very mainstream by 1993. Uh, you know, you had Nirvana and fucking Green Day and, you know, all of this, uh, the stuff that had really changed what people were listening to so that a band like Fugazi had the potential to be extremely mainstream if they wanted to. And uh, they really didn't want to. And they made this record that, uh, you know, is, a harsh and abrasive and lovely and alienating and uh yeah I I I just I find In on the Kill Taker like extremely listenable. Um it's you know, Fugazi I, I think most of their records are, are pretty easy to go back to. Um but this one just is is so like there's so it's there's so much depth to it. Um you know where you can have, uh, yeah, the, the interplay between the two vocalists from track to track, the the sound of the thing where you know they kind of abandoned punk rock for something that's just more experimental and ambitious. Um, you know, I yeah, I find it fascinating. Like the you know, they were in such a unique position at this point where everybody who was getting famous, making records that. Uh, maybe sounded a little bit like Fugazi, or you know, that, that grew up listening to Minor Threat, where you know you had you know Kurt Cobain or, or Eddie Vedder or whoever who wanted to be Fugazi, but also wanted to be rock stars. Um, you know, Fugazi provides such an interesting counterpoint to that because they they were just themselves, and they you know they turned down headlining Lollapalooza that year. They turned down you know, $10 million from Atlantic records. Like they were really trying to just be themselves and do something that was really true to them. And, uh, it on the Killtaker is what that sounds like. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, just, I don't know. Again, like one of the hundred, my like hundred favorite records.
0: Well, I feel like a jerk for not making time for this. I will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Give it a shot. I
2: think, um, Yeah, it fits in really, really well uh, with, like when you think of it as a 93 record and and what a defining year that was for music, uh, it really feels like one of the, the kings of the 93 records.
1: Awesome. All right, Jason. All right, uh, number seven, and then this is um, I think for, I guess looking back through this, like it's seemingly like a, it's maybe about half and half, like my personal taste versus like attempt to be objective, but this is a uh, th- th- this is definitely um, my taste and like what I was was actively listening to in 1993 that also I felt deserved to be, um, to to be mentioned. Uh, so my number seven is, uh, James laid, uh, gee,
0: I wonder if that'll come up again later.
1: Hmm. Oh yeah. You get that too. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, yeah. I think all three of us might have that one. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. Very good. Very nice. And like, I was, you know, let's go through the list and like, you know, kind of like you were saying, Dan, like there's like, talk about a stacked year. It's just like, it's like, it is it was very hard to pick just 10 records or even just 15 with the the you know honorable mentions and uh but I felt like uh I felt like laid does like deserved to be uh included and in that uh and I mean this I mean I mean this lovingly but like they're they're like a band they had they basically it's, they had like one good record in them. Like, I don't know. It's like, it's like kind of an anomalous. Like, I don't like their stuff after laid. Like I do not care for very much. Um, so, but it's like laid And then the record that was like, sort of accompanied this as, but, um, Wawa. Uh, oh yeah. That was sort good. of like remix al- album. And then I think it was around the same year, but there was, um, the singer did an album with, Angelo Badalamenti, uh,
0: and and, as well,
1: and like they had this like brief tear of just like just just like brilliance, and then just like and then just kind of fucked off to go be a kind of a whatever indie pop band, Um, but yeah, this record, and I also I felt like it was um, uh, I felt like it it was like fairly like reflective of like the the um the culture at the time like like i was noticing um like one common thread or like i'm noticing there's a lot of like skepticism towards like religion like that seems to be
3: mm.
1: was like kind of a uh you know a tool is definitely like talking about that and then like but i, I suppose like that's where my own you know journey and kind of like reflect like, cause I I was like very much a, uh, you know, kind of bitter, kind of like lapsed, like Protestant, in in nineteen ninety three, and was like coming out of like, being like 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 heavily religious, into being like heavily, not religious at all, and um, so like, the song like uh um one of the three on this record is like a uh, was like really like anthemic. Um, to me at that time and uh, I was going to say and I, and I, others will probably take issue with this but it's like it's like a record where it's uh, it's single was like by far like the shittiest song like on like, <laughs> like it's like there's like Laid and then like the entire rest of the album like it's just sort of like I don't know like there's it's so um, upbeat and kind of—it's of, a
2: real different vibe for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: and, then, and then the rest of the record is like kind of like a kind of a bummer, kind of like you know vaguely like nocturnal, kind of like introspective. Like oh, and then let's start of last thing about it, but like why I, I felt like it was um, worthy of mentioning is that it's got this like sort of like unassuming kind of like folk rock kind of like quality that like I felt was. Just like kind of like uniquely 1993 like it's like kind of like built around like sort of like strummy like strummy acoustic guitars and it's it's like really like just kind of like unpretentious and just I don't know it feels like almost like a crowded house or something or like i i just i don't really hear a lot of i haven't really heard a lot of records like that since like i feel like it's like things have diversified more since or something or uh, got this sort of like singer songwriter kind of like backbone that is then sort of like fleshed out but i don't know yeah i get another one that's just like crammed full of uh um just great songs like i mean i would honestly say probably almost every single song on the record is a great yeah, it's just just a lot of good songs, which is like a, always a bonus for a for a record. So um yeah, and, and I and I I it's another one that I feel uh, holds up really well and ha- has aged better than a lot even on on this list like so.
0: Oh yeah. That um we'll we'll talk about it more. <laughs> yeah. Number seven is another surprise because I rarely have two hip hop records on my list, but um, there's there's no denying that this is one of the all time greats, and all I can say is bring the ruckus.
1: Yep. Bring it.
3: Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck yeah. with. Got no place to they step, I stop, step inside the room. Dr. Dole, prepare for the boom. Bam! oh man! I slam, jam! I scream like Tarzan. I'll be tossing and forcing, my style is awesome. I'm causing more family food than Richard Dawson. And the survey said... You're dead. Yeah. Kill right.
0: Enter the Wu Tang. Thirty-six chambers by the Wu Tang Clan, and we certainly have already talked a little bit about how, yeah, this this at, around this time it was just, God, '93, what, what kind of a banner year for a lot of hip hop to where yes, we could probably make a top 30 hip hop records list, you
1: Definitely. know, if we wanted
0: to. Um, sure. But, you know, I, I, there's, there's a couple more in my honorable mentions, but I don't know. This was also the time it was just getting really raw and intense. And like, I think of, yeah, I do think of the judgment nine soundtrack, but also like something like Onyx, <laughs> you know, it was just oh, like, mm-hmm. what is, yeah. Like it's just, there's a lot of intensity and, and yelling and just yeah. getting all fired up and Every time I go back to this, I get riled up. I mean, it's just unruly and just playing crazy at times. They, they don't give a fuck, <laughs> you know. They're just like they're letting it all happen. They're just you know, and it's it's just and you got like nine very unique rappers, just sort of all bringing different styles of rhyming, and and, and their flow is all interesting, and and yet they all all manage to like maintain a persona that makes them stand out. Like you, you kind of can. Hopefully figure out who's who, especially if you know, like subsequent records that they put out as solo artists. But I don't know, like all these years later, nothing sounds quite like it. And yet it does remain timeless and reflective of this era. And it's just like it's got this hard edge and just so many powerful messages. And and RZA is just like a master. I, I don't know, you listen to each song and you almost can't decide who's got the best verse because they're all so strong and yeah. and then you know Method Man has the best
2: verse.
0: Okay, yeah. Well that that I can understand that completely. But yeah, it all just flows together and it's propulsive. Um yeah, I know I know Dan, you you spoke a little bit earlier too, like why why, you know, a record like this was so important or just, you know, the the cultural impact that rap was having around this time, but in in general this is just one of the better hip hop records of the nineties for me. I mean, I go, I, I, when I go back up to it, I just, it it goes up in estimation and value and importance. So, and I just get really like, I guess I I get so energized by it. You know, it's just a great fucking record all around.
2: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I've I've got it a little higher up on my list.
0: Sweet. I figured let's go. Let's keep it going.
2: Yeah, uh, so at number six, I've got uh, Doggy Style by Snoop Doggy Dog. As I look up at the
3: sky, my mind starts dripping, a tear drops my eye. My body temperature falls. I'm shaking and they're breaking, trying to save the dough. Pumping on my chest and I'm screaming. I stopped breathing. Damn, I see demons. Dear God, I wonder, king to save me? I can't die. My boo-boo's about to have my baby. I think it's too late for praying. Hold up. Her voice spoke to me and it slowly started saving.
2: um Sure. Which, like, I don't know, man. Like, there is, you know, like... Okay, so talking about Wu-Tang and the production on that, which is all this sort of, like, you know, shit that, like, Rizzo was making, you know, on like busted keyboards in yeah. Staten Island, mm-hmm. and then you know you have like Midnight Marauders where they set up in uh, you know Five Dogs Grandma's house to do this, and then you have Doggy Style, which is like the like mainstream blockbuster version of uh, of, of rap production at that point. Yeah. Like it is, it sounds like. James Cameron, or, like, I, I don't know, like, it just it sounds so perfect, yeah. and so mega produced in a way that, you know, would quickly start to sound like overproduction, but because it was brand new, uh, it just sounds like the most invigorating and, like, sonically perfect thing, yep. um, you know, like, The Chronic came out, what, like, a year and a half earlier than this, and that record is, it also sounds incredible, but this one, I think that, uh, you know, I think that Dre had some pressure off when it came to this one where, you know, it didn't have his name on it. So he just got to be like the genius that he is. And so everything that he kind of started to do on the Chronic is perfected here. And so you have, you know, like gin and juice is just a, a, perfect song, you know, there there aren't any better songs than that, there are songs that are as good, but there's not like, oh, well, that's just a better song than that um, you know, What's My Name is like the yeah, like all of the singles on this are just perfect uh perfect songs, you know, there are uh, the only things that you skip are the skits, which are horrible <laughs> um, but like, you know, you've got this like kind of you know, it, it's there are lots of party and good time songs on it, but then you have like this, you know, absolutely like dark goth production on Murder Was the Case. Oh yeah, and, that's a uh, great
0: song.
2: Yeah, um, and like it's just someone at the end like hearing a, a genius at the height of their powers just sort of playing, um, you know, just just having like everything is their oyster. They can play with everything they want um, and just do it all perfectly. Uh, there's yeah, there's nothing that sounds better than doggy style.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe there needs to be like a psychological study into why like Dr. Dre doesn't do a whole lot for me. And cause like clearly, you know, he's an important artist and did so much for rap and hip hop at that time. But, uh, just never got into this time, like this, the style. And certainly I tried, <laughs> but it just ne- I mean, never clicked with me. I don't know. Maybe it's, is it too chill? I don't know. Something, hmm. something's not, I mean, I don't think this is all that chill of a record except so,
2: you know, I, I, like I can talk a lot about the production because I, I, think that that's the most remarkable thing. But the other thing about it is that like Snoop has one of the best voices for rapping Mm. that anybody has ever had. Like, you know, um, there, he just sound, and he does sound incredibly chill no matter what's going on. You know, um, he's having fun, like, you know, like Lottie Dottie, which is kind of a, a, a cover, but not exactly a cover. Um, you know, is uh, like him just being super playful and, you know, he's so laid back. Um, But he, you know, he can do story songs. He can do, uh, you know, he can do party songs. He can do this, uh, you know, kind of fucked up, uh, you know, a little bit scarier stuff. Um, And he can do all of that on this record and he does. And like, you know, I I think it's interesting because he never made another record front to back that that was even really good. Um, but he just spent everything he had. He was, what, like 19 years old at the time? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that you have to kind of take it as the product of a, you know, 19-year-old who, uh, you know, is is playing with house money here. But uh, so I, I can understand why that can be a turnoff because, you know, it's like listening to this and imagining, you know, like, wow, it must have felt like shit to be a woman to hear this record at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know like that that's all that's all certainly real but um but yeah it's just yeah like i get how it can be alienating in some ways but also it's just it's it's also really exciting um just so much verve to it
0: i'll definitely go back and listen to it and go for a walk in the summertime and just you know i'm sure i'm sure it's just weird to me because like it's maybe this was like just an era where I was just kind of like, "Uh uh-uh, rap isn't for me anymore. Bye-bye. And I just sort of like dismissed it all or something like, and that's kind of sad. But like when I go back, like I have certainly with with things like Tribe Call Quest or or Wu-Tang or whatever, like the ones I've pointed out already, they hold up and they still affect me deeply. So it's very possible that if I go back to this album, I'll go, oh, yeah, it does work. It does click with me. It does do something that maybe it just didn't do for me when it first came out but no, it's an important album. I mean, like anything that Dre had to do with at, at this, at this time certainly resonated with a lot of people.
2: So sure. Yeah. There are no shortage of, uh, of white suburban teenagers <laughs> who spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to properly intone the word biatch because of this record.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's keep it going. Jason, what did you got?
1: All right. My number six. Um, and again, Mike, we I feel like we're we're, we're getting it all between, between all of us and uh, my number six, Dan sort of alluded to earlier, but I, I, I felt that uh, Cypress Hill plaque Sunday, uh, I felt needed to be uh, talked about, mentioned, included. um, And uh, good God, you want to talk, talk about sort of almost like, almost like kind of you were just saying a, a bit a moment ago, Jim, it's just like couldn't be further from my own tastes in like, Greek. um, 1993. I was certainly not, um, I was not, not bumping. Um, not bumping Black Sunday when it, when it first came out. Um, I was for one thing, I was, uh, although I, I had not, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't smoke weed for, uh, quite a while uh after this record and um let's say like you know ganja is definitely uh, uh pre- prevalent you know a, a major uh influence more than ever on yeah cypress in general <laughs> um but holy fuck this record just it's just it just kills like it absolutely just it just totally destroys like it it's similar to what what um you were saying about 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 wu-tang jim like it just kind of like Yeah, this is also like just a rowdy, like, uh, just a just a a riotous like hip hop record. Like it just just gets you absolutely like like fired up, and um, and it's just uh, you know, and with with an additional thirty years of uh, um, listening, uh, sort of experience or like context or whatever, like. It sounds amazing. Like, just production on this record just totally rules. Like, it's like smooth, but it's still kind of like aggressive. Like, it's like kind of hardcore, but it's like kind of kind of chill. Like, uh, I'll say a little bit more about it on on one of my other records. But like, it's kind of like what you guys have both been saying a little bit. But it's like, I feel like '93 was like. It was like sort of the turning. It was like when the chapter. It was like the the, the fulcrum between like old school and and like modern hip hop. Mm. Like, and this this one still got that um, still got that sort of boom bap uh, kind of like late eighties early nineties like production style. Still got that sort of loopy kind of like groove, but then um, but the. But the just the MC like the, the the rapping is like just like is like bump, is a a major like step forward from you know the more like old school style like it's just like just like lyrically just much more like ambitious and just like it flows like a lot you know better and just like a lot you know it's trying it's, it's just like way more like ambitious like it feels. Like, like an elevated kind of art form um, and the last thing about it but it's just like it's like it's almost stupid like how many like like singles that there are like this this record is just packed with just like songs I was like I was like holy shit there's like a lot of just like just fucking like classics um, you know so like Insane in the mem you know Insane in the Brain of course being sure here, the single
0: from, yeah, from, like the, the first five mind. songs on this album. I think we're all,
3: yeah, right. The one on the flam, when I come yeah.
1: I feel like the don't make me The lights are blinking. I'm thinking it's all over when I go out drinking. Oh, making my mind slow. That's why I don't fuck with the Bro, I got to maintain Cause a nigga like me one Insane, insane and and, and, Which is part of like why I, I didn't like And I, I'm almost like with, Sort of last thing about it But with, with I'm I'm almost wondering I think it's like part of like what Turned me off from this record At the time Where it would have been Kind of like a little bit more like popular Than like I was like probably Comfortable with at the you know so like insane in the brain was like a it's just a hit you know like mm-hmm. you know like it was just a it was just a popular song that was like everywhere and as a like kind of a you know elitist you know goth nerd kind of like I I didn't really have a lot of time for it at, at at that time but um yeah I didn't make time for it either right yeah it's real good though like in retrospect like. This record rules. Like it's like there's pretty much not a bad track on there. It's just from top to bottom, is a uh, uh, banger after banger. Um, so yeah, that's my number six.
0: Yeah, I'm. Maybe the the connection is, like I, I didn't get into Snoop Dogg or Cypress Hill at the time, so maybe I was just anti- weed.
1: Yeah, right. Back then, <laughs> who knows? You know? I was. That was part of it for me, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I guess. The, yeah, the the whole war on drugs campaign worked on us like you know I those just know. say no commercials and everything yeah. and just like oh god they're promoting weed they're evil i'm not gonna listen to them no things have changed you, you know especially around here yeah right I, I i walk down the street and i smell marijuana now it's just <laughs> it's just funny how things have changed right Uh, So number six, and yeah, as we've said, like, I I feel like from this point forward, all the records I've chosen are a little predictable, like there's not going to be a system of a down moment this time, you know, where you're just like, what? Like all of these are just kind of, if you know me, you know, my tastes, especially from this time period, it's all kind of just like, oh yes, of course, Jim has this on his list. But I struggled with this, putting this one on here a little bit. Because it still sounds like a debut, and it still sounds like it's from 1993, and it's far from being their strongest record, mm. and yet I can't deny the impact it had on me back then. Mm. Um, and that's Radiohead's "Pablo Honey," um, you know. And uh, again, like I, it's not the it's it's like it, "Pablo Honey" is like "Reservoir Dogs," and then the bends is "Pulp Fiction." Oh, nice. You know what I'm, you know what I mean? Like this is yeah, I know what you mean. Clearly, it's clearly like a debut. And then suddenly, holy shit, they found their voice. They know exactly what they want to be. And that is even stronger and better. And something, you know, when you hear it, you're just like, holy shit, this is a game changer. And the Benz was way more of that, but I don't know. I love it. When Radiohead was focused on playing guitars, (laughs) you know? Uh, And Like, actually, one of my favorite songs of theirs was from a couple years later called Permanent Daylight. And, like, that was, like, a B-side. There was hardly any lyrics. It was just them kind of, like, jamming with delay pedals sounding a bit like Sonic Youth. And I'll never forget the moment when (laughs) I saw them play, like, in Grant Park, and that song came on, and nobody knew what it was but me, and I was losing my mind. Because, like, they're just playing something you would never expect them to play all of a sudden. Uh, And so, yeah, this is... There's a lot to like and appreciate on this record. I still love it. Um, to me, uh, Lurgy or Lurgy <laughs> is as good as anything on the Bends. I I think that song kind of breaks my heart. Um, and the singles here Lurgy feels
2: like that could be like almost any era, maybe not King of Limbs, but almost any era of radio. Had sure. Kinda, like, they're like, oh yeah, I can hear that. That, that seems like the same band.
0: Absolutely. stripped-down acoustic song, Thinking About You. I mean, again, not the strongest in terms of lyrics, but that that's something that you can certainly point to as maybe a little bit of a liability on this album, but I still think musically it's strong. I still hear Tom York's voice slowly emerging here and there. Like He does reach a falsetto. He does scream and does do some cool stuff with his voice, but I, this is more of a nostalgia pick than something like I'm going to go back and listen to the way I do a lot of other Radiohead records, but it's 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 worth mentioning. And oh come on, I introduced this to so many people, <laughs> you know, including my first big crush, Liz. You know, like and so you kind of go back and you you think about the, the moment when you heard this album or giving it to somebody and knowing the impact it had on them for whatever reason. So all that sort of informs why I decided. I'm going to put Pablo honey on here. What the hell? I don't care if people think mm, that's not a great radio head record. Well, to me, I, 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 I think it holds up. <laughs> so there, I, I, I
2: really like it. That's uh, you know, it's not on my list, um, but only because it's such a stacked year. I really love that record. Um, at number five, I have uh, laid by James now. And, sure. you know, I, I think that there's something to Laid and Pablo Honey as sort of these two bands kind of meeting almost uh, at like cross times in their in their careers. Like they're both they they always seemed kind of of a kind to me, um, where like they're both these kind of sad british bands making these really lovely records and you know radiohead went on to uh use Honey as kind of a starting point and late is like james's i don't know, like their fifth record or something like it's pretty far down yeah. in their career and so you can kind of understand why they never got that good again there aren't a lot of you know perfect sixth or seventh or twelfth <laughs> records by anybody yeah, um but yeah, like Laid for me at the time it, at the time it came out, or at the time I discovered it was probably you know a year or two after it came out um, was like for for years when I was in high school like I this was my go-to answer for my favorite album of all time. I remember and, that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's a it's a, such a, a beautiful record. Like like Jay was saying, um, you know, and. Yeah. Like some of the, the sad songs on here are like really like just etched in my heart. Like the, the very first song, how to get you. Oh, um,
0: so perfect.
2: Yeah. Like that's just, you know, that's something that like, yeah. Anytime I was sad from 1994 to like 2001, you know, I just played that record, that song on repeat and like, all right, yeah, here we are. Here we are. Um, you know, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just, I love that. You know, it sounds, I love how Jay it is. like, like Jay was saying, it's got kind of that reminds me of a Little early REM in some ways. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's got such a great sound with such great songs and, uh, you know, it, it, it's all, you know, like you can really splice like, Oh, okay, well here's uh you know, uh, I don't know, a song like, P.S., which is you know a little bit kind of darker um, versus a song like like sometimes, oh, uh, which yeah. is you know poppier and and uh, yeah, but the whole the whole record just ha- holds together really well um, and yeah, I mean, I've listened to it I don't know a, a ten thousand times in my life and uh, I'll probably match that uh, over the next you know the rest of my life. Um, yeah, just a just a, a record I, I love every minute of. Even the, even the the, kind of sillier songs at the end, uh, like like laid. You know, it's weird that this album has reaches such emotional, like, levels for me, but is also like in the American Pie movies.
0: Um, yeah, I know. Isn't that weird?
2: <laughs> but it kind of makes sense. Sure. Um, you know, because this is the, the, that song is you know like. Incredibly horny, weirdly goofy, um, you know. Also, s- still very catchy. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know. Just a just a yeah, something I, I
0: love every minute of. Amen.
1: Hmm. Well said. And uh, I think the fact that this is this high, like or low or high, take your pick uh, on my list is should be semi reflective of. The, the way that I I organized the, 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 the this this whole thing and uh and that um this record in like numerous in 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 a bunch of different ways like completely changed my life and is still um number five um so my number five is a uh, dead can dance into the labyrinth um
0: yeah. where, oh wow.
1: and like yeah the fact that that was like that's only halfway up my list says a lot about what you know cuz like i i had to be like i was like yeah well it's like personally like exceedingly impactful but there's you know I had to i tried to factor in like cultural relevance too um but this record many things that could be said about it uh but the most thing like th- th- this was like the the starting point this is when my obsession with music began like and uh for whatever reason uh, and i think it says a lot about what a strange year that 1993 was is that this was a was a radio single like they play this shit on fucking q One. like with like liz like with like liz fair and like tool and and like I'm like okay and like just like a little like geeky 13 year old or whatever what do I know and like it's just got this like mysterious uh, so the single was uh, the ubiquitous Mr. Lovegrove Um, it's just got this sort of like spooky kind of like mystical kind of like mysterious feeling and I was just like what is that like I'm just like it's like a hair on end and um, it was the first time certainly not the last but uh god that single must have come out a long time before this the album was released like and it was like a, a serious like uh, like promotional cycle it must have been six months at least Like, like I just heard it on the radio and I'm just like what is that like so this is also how I Got into how I discovered uh, at, at the time uh, Music Express, which would later go on to become S and J Stereo, um, and like I straight up for six months would go in every week and be like, "Has that Dead Can Dance album come out?" And he's like, "No, it has not come out." And I was like, "Okay, cool, good, good to know." And then like, but weirdly enough, the 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 proprietor of i mean i guess not weird but but he was a Dead and dance fan like he, he liked that band and um a lot of their stuff was it was not it wasn't uh it wasn't domestically available yet um but he would uh he started he would he would he would get me european imports that actually kind of pissed me off a little bit just because i Spent. I bought all the European versions, and then they were domestically released like six months later. I was like, "Oh God, I've spent so much money on that." Um, but anyway, uh, so so there's that. It Started my record collecting, like you know, like obsession, and then also it was like um, it was like this was like kind of like well, it was like two things, but it was like partially it was so it was like kind of like my gateway into like um, like paganism, which is like slightly. Funny, but like there was like there's just like this sort of like magical feel to like this the, the feeling of the, the the record and like as somebody that i was like pretty much giving up like i was like like losing my faith at that time so i was like cc c- like stop like not no longer being christian and then becoming like like a witch which you know i, I still am and then um and then it also last thing about it, but it was like so this this began what what we what we referred to at the time as world music uh which since uh a better way to say it is non american music uh but this started my fascination with you know non american music and this this was kind of my gateway into like folk music from around the world which is like still I I would say like if you wanted a record that was like the most like indicative of like like my like my personality to like to this day and like who I am like this would be the one like there's like there's I think there's like a it's either like Australian indigenous or like a Native American like kind of chanty kind of song on there there's a Celtic it's a Celtic traditional song which is the Definitively, best version of "I Am Sh- uh, um, when the Wind Shakes the Barley" that has ever been mm, recorded. Yeah, um, that was beautiful. Right? Yeah. It just doesn't. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm being somewhat facetious because there's there's a lot of good versions of,
0: <laughs> of when the
1: the barley, <laughs> but uh, but it's a it's a particularly uh, uh, good. And 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 the last thing about it, but it was like it. This record also has not aged today. Like it sounds. As, as time ty- as fresh and current and you know, at thirty years later, as it did when it came out, um, fanta- fantastic record, uh, fantastic band, and probably probably their best, one of their best at least I guess. Um, yeah, I
0: think it's the best. Yeah, I would say so too. I should have gone back and re-listened to that because it's been a while. But wow, yeah, it's really good. I, I just remember it's a great record. Yeah. yeah, listening to that all the time. Or around you, it got,
2: <laughs> it got reissued on vinyl in like 2016, oh, and mm. yeah, it sounds fucking good. Oh, what? I need that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I still remember asking my mom at Woodmar Mall <laughs> yes. to board. borrow 15 bucks to buy the new Nirvana record. Okay. And she was like shopping at Carson's and I was just kind of like, Oh mom, please can I, I, I you know, I'll, 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 I'll figure out how to pay you back or something, but just, I, I just need this record in my life as soon as humanly possible, you know, cause it came out that week. And once, once I got it, I was so excited to, I mean, uh, you know, n- nevermind was just, of course, a game changer in so many ways, but then knowing that this was, was their follow up. Uh, and of course I'd heard Heart Shaped Box by that point but I was just kind of like what 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 is this album going to even be? Um, and it remains my favorite Nirvana record. I, I mean it's just everything about what made Kurt Cobain such a, a, an extraordinary songwriter is is on this album. It's not polished. It's Steve Albini of course doing the production in a way that's just kind of like so different and so unique and of course and it makes sense like Kurt was a huge Pixies fan, you know? So I, I think he like said, give me that drum sound. You know, that 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 every time Grohl hits the snare, you just hear this like plate reverb that's just unlike anything I had heard at that point in time. Because I hadn't really gone back and listened to something like the Pixies until a little bit later, maybe. But this was a chance for them to kind of like just do whatever they want. You know, and without thinking like, well, we gotta be, we gotta come out with another Smells Like Teen Spirit. They just, they wanted to do something completely raw. It, it's, it's, it's kind of like an amalgam of their first two records, like some of the things they did on Bleach and some of the things they did on Nevermind, but just filtered through, you know, someone like Steve Albini. And they got to like collaborate together on a song like Scentless Apprentice, you know, where it's just like, what is going on in this song? You know, like what, what, I mean, I feel that way a lot going back to some of these sons, like, what is milk it? What, what, what is he saying? What is this song about? I don't care. It's amazing. (laughs) You know, like, I don't know what he's always singing about, but that's exciting. Um, so yeah. And of course all apologies is one of the all time great closers and just kind of like a hint of the direction that I think the band would have, you know, sort of veered more towards because again, Kurt was a fan of pop music. He was a fan of REM he wanted to get a little more melodic and soft and reflective and sing about things that were meaningful. And you know, that, that MTV unplugged really could sh- showcase like they weren't just this loud, crazy, gr- punky grunge band. You know, they, they really did care about m- melody and s- having something to say. So, I mean, this is just a special moment in time for me because hearing in utero and Matthew sweet and something else we'll get to is the reason why I even bought a guitar. So uh, th- it's inevitable. Of course, in utero is going to be on my list here at number five. Cause it was, a, a, it still remains one of those albums that whenever I go back to, I'm just like in awe of everything about it.
2: I mean, the thing that's so remarkable, remarkable about in utero is that like, it could have been, a third as good as it is and still been a great record. Like, it... I don't know. Like, they they just... It's really interesting to see a band that was the biggest band in the world um, that didn't phone anything in mm-hmm. when they had every, like, they- every right to and, you know, the lead songwriter is, like, deep into a heroin addiction. Um, he could have had other priorities. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he, he really just... Fully went for it on this record,
0: hundred percent. All right, what are we up to? Number four. Number four, yeah. Wow.
2: So this is the the
0: least cool
2: band and record that I will stand for and like fight people over. Mm, I think. Uh, I think I know what it
0: is. but
2: it is uh, August and everything yeah. after by Counting Cres. I knew it.
0: I knew it. It's in my honorable mentions, yeah. but yeah, I, I do love it, too. How dare you! Yeah, same
2: here. Sorry, <laughs> A
3: friend shows me It's all nothing I am not worried I am not overly concerned My friend implores me For one time only an Exception I am not worried. Wrap her up in a package of lies, send her off to a coconut island. I am not worried. I am not overly concerned with the status of my emotions. Oh, she says she
2: <laughs> but I, I, yeah, like this is just, it's just, I just love this record. I love this band. Um, I Recognize that people think that they're very corny. I recognize that uh, the singer had dreadlocks that uh, he shouldn't have had for many years. Um, I recognize that Mr. Jones, uh, you know, does sound like someone trying to like rewrite "Brown Eyed Girl," having only heard it once ten years ago, and then trying to conjure it from memory. Like I, I get all of the reasons
0: people <laughs> think this I know is, he is, sings I want to be Bob Dylan, but all I could think of was like, I want to be Van Morrison. You know?
2: Yeah, well, you don't say it. If that's who you actually want to be, you don't <laughs> say it. You say you want to be Bob Dylan instead so you can have a little bit of distance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I um, yeah, I love this record. I love every single song on it. Um, you know, I, I think that the record still sounds great. Like it's, it sounds huge in ways that I, I really appreciate um, you know, it, it starts very delicate with Round Here and then it gets huge with Omaha mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, just kind of flits around like this coffee shop record that sounds so much bigger than anything anybody playing in a coffee shop would be able to sound like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that Adam Duritz is as good of a lyricist as Bob Dylan. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I think that these songs are really incredibly beautiful and meaningful and like I can, uh, you know, just kind of like pick a random song and listen to it for 30 seconds and there'd be a line that knocks me on my ass. Um, so yeah, I think this is a great record and uh, I'll, I'll fight anyone who has a problem with that.
0: Oh, I, I no, I still, I still love it. I, I feel like recovering the satellites is when I officially fell in love with counting crows as much as I, do like August and everything, every, you know. I, I still love that record too, and I certainly remember being in Midian and we were practicing in Art's basement. Mr. Jones, <laughs> you know, and it was just like we just want people to like us, so let's just play Mr. Jones, <laughs> you know. We, it was just like that type of thinking at the time. It's just like oh, it's but it's a good song, you know. We and and I think it'll you know make people feel good once they hear it, and we we did our best, but. Um, I, I go back to this album and I kind of go, I, I want the fire and energy. And, like, you know, what, once I heard Catapult and Angels of the Silences, that's when kind of the band became an all-timer for me. Um, but no, there's still like amazing songs on August and everything after. It's just that I still think Recovering the Satellites is ugh, even better. Even better. Yeah. You know, yeah.
2: It's funny, like, the idea of playing Mr. Jones because everybody would like it um, is just, it's so funny to think yeah. like nothing on the, no hit song in 2023 sounds anything like Mr. Jones by Accounting Crows. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it sounds so of a, of a different like understanding of what pop music was, yeah. but uh, you know, it was like a, I don't think it was number one on the charts, but it was like number two. Sure. Like it was, just like it was a huge hit like uh you know it was it was the old town road of its day and uh <laughs> you know it, it, it's just wild to think that like it was a contemporary sound um at the time because nothing like this is popular today
0: you know what it made that that album even better is if they put einstein on a beach on it that's a good song <laughs> oh god it's such a good song no you're, you're right it, it it's 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 in my honorable mentions because I love it, but I think I like the band even more as time went on. Uh, Fair. Fair.
1: Uh, I just want to d- dip in real quick and just just point to say very quickly uh, in regards to Counting Crows. Uh, just to, uh, Dan, I feel like that's like kind of like that. that similar sort of like like folk rock um, kind of like skeleton, like I was sort of alluding to with uh, with James. Like I don't know. Like I just don't really hear music that like is made like that anymore. Like yeah. Anyway, like I, the the fact that it's not uh, that it's only an honorable mention is, is the fact that is, is, is just solely a testament to, uh, how many great records that there were in 1993. Um, uh, but I, I honestly think that that's a perfect, I think that that's a perfect record. I think it's actually flawless. Um, but my number four and, and Jim, you already pretty well, pretty well said much of what needs to be said already, but, uh, in, in, utero, in utero is my, is my number four. Um, and, uh, sort of funnily enough. And that like, um, I, this is what I actually had to, I had to develop, I had, I had to, I had to learn to appreciate, uh, this record. It didn't, you know, it's one that took some years for me to, um, to, 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 to to kind of learn how to relate to. Um, Hmm. but like, I felt like it needed to be, High, you know like it deserved to be in the top five you know like top half because of its you know cultural and you know significance um, but like what strikes me and it's kind of like you were sort of saying but like like again it was like sort of like similar to like what I was saying with Undertow like there's um, I almost want to say this is sort of like a beautiful like ugliness to this record like like, I was like listening back to it and there's like it is not especially like approachable like I don't know like I was like like Kurt's like vocals are just like very just like guttural and just like um, I honestly think that the album cover is like was like weirdly appro- like is actually like very appropriate like um, you know an angel with like just like guts and it's like it's like beautiful, but also just like sort of like kind of meaty and kind of like, uh, um, and uh, sort of similar to like what you were saying, but like in a different way. Like I also think that this was like indicative of like where that they probably were going to go, and, it, and I and I find it sort of like lamentable. I find I think it's kind of tragic. It's kind of sad, like. But like I was reminded of, um, thought of like, uh, like, like Husker do. Like, I, I honestly think that like Nirvana might've settled into like, kind of like a, kind of like a Husker do kind of like, uh, kind of like mature art pop kind of like noise art slash noise pop, like vibe, like had, but, um, and again, so the last thing about it, you said it all a lot already, but it's like talk about just like some of the least the least accessible like radio singles that have like ever been like released. I'm just like, good God, they were really just like <laughs> So it's like Heart J Box, which is just like semi like surreal, nonsensical, like like astrological like lyrics. You're like, what are you even talking about? And then (laughs) like, and then like rape me. And I'm just, I was like, good Jesus, man. Like, you're just like, you know, like you're just not pulling any punches with this, this record. Like it's, you know, it's like, um, so it's almost similar to like, I think we maybe talked about it last year, but it's like kind of similar to like how I felt about, um, like downward spiral by nine inch nails, like it took me a little while to like learn how to like relate to these records because like I like had to learn how to appreciate the slightly more like unpleasant kind of sounds, um, which is funny is like someone has Tool on their album their list, but but anyway, yeah, In Utero that's my number four.
0: Oh boy,
2: uh, what you were saying about Heartshaped Box is a, a like completely bizarro single. Yeah. Um, the only thing I'm gonna add to that is that when uh, Lana Del Rey covered that song um, like oh, eight or nine years wow. ago. Uh, and uh, Courtney Love on Twitter uh, refused to let her forget that it was a song about her vagina.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Courtney. Thanks for the reminder. We all would have forgotten about your vagina otherwise. Wow. <laughs>
0: yeah, and Courtney Love just like loves Lana Del Rey.
1: As, mm-hmm. as well as she should, I guess, you know? because. I she's, could see them getting along to be honest. I could I could see.
0: Yeah. She said and something those, like, I, Oh, she's the I, only current pop songwriter that matters right now or something like that, you know. Sure, but, sure, Courtney. Yeah. <laughs> always always take what she says, you know, to heart, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um Well speaking of Courtney Love, she said a lot of songs on this particular album were inspired. By a certain relationship she had with the lead singer. No, it is not Nirvana's in Utero again. It happens to be Smashing Pumpkin's Siamese Dream. Once again, a predictable choice for me, but uh, yeah, Jason, you and I were very excited to see them at Lollapalooza it's true. following year. Um, I believe they opened with Soma, and that's still one of my favorite songs by them. Uh, honestly, I think... Maybe mayonnaise might be the best song they've ever recorded, possibly. Right. Um. Not to mention the fact that like they were influenced a lot by the guitar la- layering of My Bloody Valentine's *Loveless*. You know, like they just like let's let's make a noise pop album, but also just not forget like melody and uh you know hard on the sleeve lyrics and all that stuff. That of course Billy Corgan at the time. I remember Jim DeRogatis saying like, Oh my God, Billy Corgan's lyrics are awful, but the music is so great. Uh, so it's like, you know, a push and pull kind of experience for him with this band. And to the point where like he was assigned to review a live show at the double door that the pumpkins were having to, for the, for the record release of melancholy and Jim DeRogatis was refused to enter the door because of what he said about Billy Corgan and his (laughs) lyrics. Um, but they eventually made up, I think, like, you know, especially because, you know, it was around a door that I think even Jim DeRogatis would admit, like, oh, Billy Corgan's maturing a little bit and becoming a better lyricist. And I will say, like, there are certain times when I'm listening to Siamese Dream where I'm like, yeah, it's okay. Not the strongest lyrics here and there, but I don't care. Like, just the, the sound of this album is what I will always think of. I mean... Hiring Butch Vig to produce it, you know, <laughs> means something it, it, like this is just an interesting time to think of Nirvana versus Smashing Pumpkins and hiring the same producer and Billy Corgan and Kurt Cobain being involved with the same women, at different women at different times. I don't know. It's just kind of you could probably write a whole book about <laughs> just what was going on between the two of them and a, like a, a sense of rivalry like Courtney Love could not listen to Siamese Dream in the presence of Kurt Cobain for reasons why you know we could probably all figure out but uh no this is just great it's i mean this took that sort of loud soft dynamic to some sort of psychedelic place uh there's like insane guitar solos uh like the craftsmanship and you know i i certainly can attest even not being a drummer that there's never been a drummer quite like jimmy chamberlain i i just think he's one of the all-time greats um Cause I think, you know, he was influenced by jazz drumming and just sort of like, just would know exactly how to complement the song and yet be just so stylistically interesting throughout. Uh, but yeah, this was another right place, right time album that made me and Nate Bohannon exciting, uh, excited about practicing in his basement after school. And today was one of the first songs that Midian had ever learned. So this was like the perfect teen angst record for me at that time. Uh, but fortunately, Billy Corgan is still Billy Corgan. And I don't know what he's up to these days. That's outside of making not as <laughs> making not interesting music anymore. It's uh, from whatever I hear, like a new smash and pumpkin song. I'm like, ah, not as good as old stuff. Sorry. But I still adore Siamese Dream. No pun intended. Yeah, that's a
2: good record. So my, uh, uh, that, was, that was the hardest uh, one to, to bump to an honorable mention for me.
0: Yeah. Again, I but a lot of it has to do with the production. Just I'd never heard an album yeah. sound like this. I never heard a song like sound like Cherub Rock in my life until I heard this album. Okay. Yeah. Let's go. All
2: right. Uh, I've got at number three, I've got uh, Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers. Um Talked about this a fair bit, so I won't go on too much. But I will say that uh, a friend of mine once uh, asked if you could be in, like, if you could just have a part doing, like, playing in any band, uh, you know, just every night you you do someone in a, like, you're, you're playing, I don't know, the guitar on I Am One or whatever, your like, your role, and you play this song every night. Uh, I would be inspected back on mutagen planning. Nothing to fuck with. That's all.
0: Yeah. As well, <laughs> that's that is one of the most memorable songs. Period. I just, mm-hmm. I get, I get and so yeah, stoked like, to hear it every time.
2: It, yeah, it sounds, it sounds incredible. It does. Um, still does, still does. They all sound incredible. The interplay between their voices is uh, just. So much fun, and yeah, they are such distinct personalities that it's like pro wrestling or, or something. Like, just kind of broad archetypes, but also really, really specific. Um, just a blast. Just, just a perfect record. All
1: right, number three for Jason. My number three is also Enter the Enter the Thirty Six <laughs> Chambers by Wu Tang Clan
0: damn i should have had a number three then oh well that's
1: okay <laughs> yeah right we could have triple threes and you know and, and this is part of what where you know started to Cause like to, 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 veer from, you know, to, to, to strive towards objectivity. Cause like, you're just like, like there's just like really no denying. I mean, in, in all honesty, it probably should be number one. It's probably the, the best record of 1993. And, um, but, uh, and, and y'all both have covered, you know, we, we we've talked about Ender the 36 chambers quite a bit at this point, but, uh, I, I was sort of struck by like when putting this list together, like sort of, sort of weird to think that there was ever a time before the Wu-Tang clan. I was all like, I was like Wu-Tang had a first record. Like, well, wow, that's, that's <laughs> a crazy concept to me. Like that's like, that I means in 1992, there was no Wu-Tang records. Like it's almost kind of a sad thought in a way. Like, um, I will say also about this record that, um, I've got, I've got this one on vinyl, uh, my record collection. And uh, th- this is one that uh, regularly works its way into my, my DJ sets. And uh, you want to just like inject some like instant, like pandemonium into just like whatever you're playing or whatever. Like, yeah. Bring the ruckus is, is like, I, I play that all the time. And like when I'm, when I'm DJing live, like it's just fucking, it's just, yeah, brings the roof down like every like every time like, um, and again you know we talked about it we've said a lot about this record, uh, but the, the the one thing that like I do feel that it just needs to sort of reiterate and and, and we we finally hit the point in history too where like you both like we we all knew one another at this point like we were we we're finally to the point where we we're all friends uh so you probably remember the fact that like I was defi- decidedly not into hip hop in 1993 like I was yeah. not a fan not a fan like I was pretty vocal about that I'm pretty sure um but uh like this is just objectively a fucking like undeniably amazing record that I I had to, be, it probably should have been number one. I'm probably cheating slightly uh, in them. But the last thing to say about it is just like, I'm just like really struck by like, I feel like even in 92, like even in the year prior, like it still had that sort of like, I don't fully know how to describe it, but I mostly call it like, like old school, like old school, like, you know, rapping style. It's still had that, um, That the 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 sugar hill the Grandmaster Flash style like I don't know what it is but for like first like ten years of hip hop it just had that same kind of like delivery and flow like you know like it just did that like that's all the hip hop was like and I'm sure that's probably not universally true but like I'm just like blown away by kind of like Dan was just saying but just like the the rapping on this record is just like. it it is like a major step forward like in um, you know ambition and and just like it's just like it flows just like you know it actually flows like it doesn't have that like every four bar kind of like you know meter to it like this is like uh, I would definitely say at least in the top five like best hip hop records ever made like Uh, Like, yeah, you may be Uh, right. I I think so. I think I I would definitely stand by that myself. Um, So yeah, that's my number three. Yeah. We definitely got some more
0: overlapping. I'm sure. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Number three is James. Um, I I think (laughs) I used to love to give this CD to girls that I was dating. So I could simply just say, Hey, you got laid by James. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. That that really worked out. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> 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 yeah, like you said, Dan, it, it is funny. This band is mainly going to be known for the title track, the hit single, and that was used in American Pie. But I don't know. There's so much more to this album. And it was, I think that's what, like, I, I, the element of surprise first listening to this album, knowing just the single, was just kind of like, I, I, I what what's happening i didn't think that this was going to be so slow and and atmospheric and stunningly beautiful at times i mean the the opening song alone is just i i hadn't heard ballads that were just like it, it felt like love <laughs> you know i was just like this is what it feels like to be in love or to not have love or to just experience longing and desire and have it all be very very tender and and vulnerable and just th- that opening song really just builds and builds so beautifully. And it just breaks my heart. Like this is, it, it's sad too. Like, cause I kept going to like, I was like, I'm just going to listen to whatever James puts out in hopes that something like this would happen again. But yeah, you're right. It didn't, <laughs> it was just like a once in a lifetime record where everything came together beautifully and having Brian Eno on board, I'm sure helped a lot with the production side and certainly like you mentioned jay the sort of like compilation record the the collection of b-sides Flawa was very interesting to hear and certainly there were a couple of songs on that that i kind of went oh i wish that would have been on the actual album but it's still great that it, we get to hear it um but yeah no this is man Tim Booth's voice and that uh, Booth and the Bad Angel record, I mean, this this was just like, a. I was just kind of like in awe of everything that they were doing, and they just knew how to write the perfect love song. Um, and I, as much as, yeah, like, Laid was the big hit, I feel like Say Something, you know, should have been a bigger hit for them. Like, that should have catapulted them. I know it got radio play, at least, but still, this is just a really special band, Um that I, again, I, I'm always tempted. Like maybe I should just like make a a playlist of the songs that get the most listens on Spotify from their last few records and see if they're any good, mm-hmm. just out of curiosity. But no, I don't think they'll ever top this. I think it's one of the greatest records of the '90s. Again, right place, right time. It means a lot to me.
2: I think there's something really great about the alchemy of of someone who can only kind of do something once, like that. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. The more, yeah, like the more I think about that as an idea, the more I like it. Um, Good point. Uh, all right, at, at my number two for me, I have, uh, and yeah, again, everything is really just all number ones, uh, just kind of in, in order. Um, number two, I've got "Gentlemen" by the Afghan Whigs. Oh wow, uh, match. Yeah, it's um, just one of my favorite things that anyone has ever recorded. Um, it means yeah like it's i don't know like it's wild to think that you know i got this from the library when i was 14 years old Mm. um and it's wild to think that as a 13 or 14 year old uh that like i was listening to this (laughs) like intense psychosexual drama about heroin addiction and like doomed relationships and being like, yeah, this really speaks to me. (laughs) (laughs) Like I was playing super Nintendo and, (laughs) you know, like, like building models and like, okay, this is going to be the most intense millennium Falcon ever. Um, (laughs) But like, it really, like it just, it felt like a world I was so interested in, you know, it just, it's scary and dark and, uh, super intense and uh you know but also it's got these kind of like you know wave your in the air arena rocker songs in the middle um you know and like yeah like i i you know the idea that as a you know 13 year old i could listen to when we two parted and be like yeah that's that's how i feel too you know which is this like incredibly uh bleak song about like a dying relationship um that doesn't even attempt to to show any sort of like warmth or joy or light it's just the, the pure darkness of it um yeah you know, it's pretty funny to think about but you know when you're like when you're that age like your feelings are so big mm-hmm. that sometimes you need feelings that are bigger even if you can't actually relate to them on any level uh, and, and that's what I think I was getting out of Gentleman at the time and you know I've since listened to it you know 11,000 times and uh, you know I get different things out of it now uh, but yeah it's just it is just a, a record that speaks to me on on every level
0: Well, since we have a match, I might as well go ahead and yeah, do it. comment really quick and say, I agree with everything Dan said, but I feel like both number one and number two kind of represent two different sides of my personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there is that angry, aggressive side that often only comes out with music for me when I'm, mm-hmm. you know, because sometimes you will hear me screaming in a song. Uh sure and get intense and sort of confront a lot of the darker stuff. And, you know, of course there's, you know, alternative rock and stuff of that era. Certainly uh, tr- I can attribute that desire to like get loud. Um, and even to some extent, something like smashing pumpkins, but Dan has done a lot for me in my life. <laughs> and, you know, of course introduced me to a lot of different music, but I think, you know, maybe it was in my twenties, Like I finally went around and said, oh, I know Dan loves this Afghan Wigs album. I should probably finally listen to it. And then once I did, I was like, oh my god, what the hell is wrong with me? Why haven't I been listening to this for such a long time? It was a game changer. It was another example of a songwriter who was fearless. And just he could capture lust and loss and pain and addiction and all these things in, in, in a verse. And I remember like listening to uh, Black Love on a car ride with um, Amy, my ex at the time, and she just went, "Why do you like Greg Dooley? He he, he doesn't really sing on key most of the time." Like, I'm just like, because the emotion is so raw. How could you, how could you not feel it in your veins and your bones and in your teeth? Everything, like yeah. it's just he's one of the most incredible frontmen of any band ever as far as i'm concerned and if you see if you ever see them live that'll only you, you, that'll only be confirmed like he's just an incredible songwriter stage presence vocalist screamer um and yeah he can just pen really beautiful introspective ballads too and this has everything that makes him an incredible uh musician it, and it's had a great impact on my life. Like, especially hearing what jail is like, like that song was just, once I heard that, I felt like, Oh my God, I, I, this, the song somehow speaks to me, even if I'm not in jail (laughs) or if I, like, I just knew that feeling. I think Dan said it very eloquently. And like, I may not have had these experiences directly, but I get that. I know where he's coming from. I understand the emotion. This felt like empathy in its pure rawest form. Hmm. You know,
2: one other thing I'll, I'll say about this record, um, just as I as I think about it, you know, and think about it lyrically and what he was doing there, you know, like the thing that, that still strikes me about it, that you know, you said it was courageous songwriting. And it really is because, like, the character that he is, the perspective he's writing from, that character is a piece of shit. Yeah, like, he's a, he's he is a scumbag. He's
0: got a dick. Um, he's got a dick for a brain. <laughs>
2: yeah like he i mean i mean he is a scumbag he is is harming the people in his life um but because we're getting this all of this from his perspective and he's aware that he's all of these things yes it adds a like it, it becomes storytelling in a way that most songwriters who like he's he never plays a victim. You never, you know, like there were so many like wounded man breakup albums. There still are, you know, where, you know, it's like, oh, she did this. And like everything that, you know, that the, the, the other part of this, that the woman on this record, you know, did, like oh, it is, it, it doesn't compare to what he's done, you know? And the record even goes so far as to have one song from her point of view that, marcy mays gets to sing and like it's just it's such a well-constructed uh like statement on this and, like artistic statement um you know narratively it just it, it works on a level that very few you know certainly of that era very few artists were even trying to work on and yeah, I, yeah it's incredible
0: it really is yeah.
1: Was my my favorite record uh, for for a long time. This was a uh, this was my number one fa- favorite album, and um, it's a uh, 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 slow dive through Uh And uh, for a long time uh, before this, for about a decade, at least ten years, my bloody Valentine's Loveless was my favorite album of all time. And then um I eventually realized that I listened to that like I listen to Suwaki more. And like there's it's probably the album that I've probably heard the most like in my entire life, which is probably set which, you know, says something. Like how much music did I listen to? Like I heard this record five thousand times five thousand times and uh it just doesn't um it it doesn't age at all like it and it's like you want to talk about re-listenability like holy shit like i often times listen to listen to suvaki like every day it doesn't it, it, it doesn't ever get old. It doesn't ever like get tired. Like it just like, um. but I, I was, I was struck or er, this also ties into one other uh, thing, which you were mentioning, Jim, just a moment ago. But um, I, my fondness for this record isn't autobiographical. Like, I honestly just think it is just solid. Like, you know, just like, you know, like, musically slash craft you know, like artistically solid. But um I discovered this record in in Art's basement. Uh, this was where yes, I Yes,
0: I, I remember this. Started.
1: Like I think that this is like the perfect. This is this is like the perfect sort of like shoegaze slash like noise pop like hybrid like because its songwriting is like really tight like it's like the the, like the the songs are really good like it doesn't like doesn't like meander like uh, like like slid I would come to do a little bit like a lot of a lot of shoe gay stuff is kind of unfocused um you know to put it nicely you know and this one's just like chock full of songs like it's just like it's um it's just like you know you can like sing along with it uh you know but it's like got this really nice like sort of like cozy like feeling and it's like this is like prime like autumnal kind of like you know, like put on a sweater, like, um, but anyway, there's a, p- a perfect record, like, you know, 10, 10 out of 10. It just doesn't, um, and, and I think, I think pretty much like anybody would like it, like almost anybody would, um, yeah, so that's my number two. That's a
0: great pick, it's in my honorable mentions for oh, sure. Yes. Okay, we've reached the point. I'm so excited. I wonder. If there will be a match or not, hmm, we'll see. I,
2: I assume that there, there probably is going to be a match, just because I can't imagine what else you would have at number one if it's not the same one that I have, which is Exile and Guyville.
3: I woke up.
0: Of course, of course. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, this just changed everything for me.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. I mean, this was, like, this This record was, like, one of the things that just kind of taught me to be less of a dipshit in life. Yep, um, yep. Like, just, like, what a gift it was that, as a teenager, like, Liz Fair was there putting out this record that... Just like I don't think it was intended to speak to teenage boys who were, you know, at great risk of being giant dipshits, but uh, it was it was there for us. It was something that we had access to, and it, you know, was this like masterpiece of just a completely different perspective uh, that taught me so much, like empathy about how to move in the world, what experiences were like for people who weren't just like me. Yep, Um, You know, just like, oh, wow, this is, this is how, you know, women feel in this situation. This is how, you know, every girl I have a crush on might be feeling. Hmm. I should think about more than just my own, you know, feelings about things. Um, All of that is just available to you. And it's wild, and you know, so just on a, like a personal level, this record meant means so much to me. Um, you know that I don't even know how to talk about it as music. Like it's just this this uh, you know instruction manual from someone who was cool enough to offer. Like, okay, this is here is a completely you know honest and true and raw perspective on what life is like for me, if you listen to it, you're going to have a different perspective because you can't not. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. This is just, uh, uh, yeah, just one of those things that means the world to me. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to go see her. She's doing a 30th anniversary tour, oh, cool. uh, of this album. And I just got tickets a couple of days ago for the Austin show. So, um, Really
0: excited to, to I bet be, I, I better check that. and see if <laughs> I would I, I I would think Chicago is sold out. I bet
2: I I have to expect that.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. Part of me just wants to say, hey, listen to this podcast I did all about Exile and Guyville, which I'll link to in the show in, in the show notes, of course. But Dan said a lot. I mean, it, it, it. In terms of how you know I was viewing viewing the girls I liked and crushed on. Uh, this sort of brought me a, a whole new, fresh perspective that did make me more aware of what they could potentially be experiencing, and uh, it, it just—it created this whole new sensory uh, experience of empathy, and not just like reducing it to, "Oh, Liz Fair just wants to have sex. That's hot," you know. <laughs> it just—it's—it's it's, there, there's so much more to it than just like having that reaction. And I'm sure, you know, some guys did, some guys probably just went, Oh, she's, you know, writing about sex and that's great because I'm so I'm into sex. I want to have lots of sex. And so does she, Oh God. You know, it's like you listen to, um, flower, right. And you kind of go, Hmm. But it's a commentary on just that, like guys just thinking that way or viewing her or framing her in that, in that, in that way. And it's just, you know, she's sort of confronting those ideas, uh, and letting us know that, that, that that's not cool, you know, to think of just reducing women that way. Uh, there's so much more and this album sort of shows that it gets just so intensely personal and it, it does sound like it was recorded like kind of in a, in a basement studio, you know, courtesy of Brad Wood and everything. But what, what this album has to say is, kind of almost trumps a little bit, even just the musical side of it, because I don't know, some of the songs are kind of straightforward, even a song like fucking run musically or chord structures or anything like that. Yeah. It's, it kind of, it's, it's kind of predictable in just how, how like a song should be or how an indie rock song should sound. People could listen to this record today and go, Oh yeah, this sounds like an indie rock record from 1993. Uh, But in terms of just the content, the lyrics, everything about it, it it just read like, it felt like I was reading somebody's diary. And I don't know if I had that kind of experience with music uh, up until this record came out and something like divorce song, I think is probably my favorite song of 1993. Like there are just lines in that song that kind of blow my mind. It says so much about a relationship that maybe she was experiencing at the time and just how relationships can get sour or stale or, you know, just, and, and her attention to detail throughout that song, like sp- picking out specific objects, it just, it just feels like a therapy session <laughs> and yet it doesn't, it, it feels honest and real at the same time. So that's, I've always thought like, well, Matthew Sweet's girlfriend kind of summed up like my experiences and feelings at the time of being of feeling love for the first time and sort of romanticizing it. And then Liz fair came along and was like, wait a minute, listen to this side, (laughs) you know, of that feeling and experience and see what that, see what this is all about. And I'm eternally grateful to where I had the pleasure of telling her how much this album meant to me. And I'm sure she gets that a lot from a lot of people, not just, not just Mm -hmm. girls. You know, I, I think this this album has deep, meaningful significance to a lot of people, and it made them want to make music, and that's certainly true for me. So that's why it is number one, and then it was kind of inevitable <laughs> for me. So, how about you, Jason?
1: All right. So uh, you know, you, you've uh, this was uh, this has already been discussed. So I won't uh, belabor the point necessarily, but. Um, My number one was um, Siamese Dream. like quite a bit like I was I was into this record at that time um, but I, I uh, sort of it was like the, the confluence of uh, personal tastes slash uh, like popularity uh, and then as far as like uh, aging well you know where I, I was talking about with like undertow like undertow feels like a you know a document of of 1993. Like I could kind of place that one, not Siamese dream. Like that record, is, it, it feels like, like almost like, like freakishly fresh. Like I'm like, yeah
0: sounds like it's from outer space or something.
1: Yeah. It's like, like another, like another dimension or something. I'm just like, yeah. what the fuck is like, um but I also felt like, it, I felt like it deserved the number one slot. And that like, and of course this is going to be a subjective to, to an extent but um something that the that, that Dan and I have spoken about at a pretty decent length uh, as far as like the 90 uh, the, um, the, a res- the the uh, resurgence of interest in 90s music which has um, been increasingly prevalent um, but I, I'm noticing I feel like I feel like Siamese dream is like one of the Feelings uh, and like the vibes that seems to be, people seem to be picking up on. Um, so but you know beyond that, like I I just feel like um you know similar to, like what you were just saying, Jim. Like I just feel like like production wise, like there's just no uh, there's just no denying. Like it's just like like I would, you know, I, I would probably say like do, I could it's probably like the best like noise pop record that like has ever been made and like i it's probably in like the best like top 10 like shoegaze records ever made like i would say which is like you, you know and like that was like i mean this was like the sort of the through line this is like how i got into shoegaze sure. music like it was like following it's like Oh, who's Alan Mulder? Oh, like, what else is he like? Oh, this dude that made, you know, made, made Siamese Dream, like, also recorded, like, Loveless. Like, what's that? And, and, like, just like those thick guitars, man, there's just nothing there. Yeah. It's just, like, I it might be, and it's just, like, my own taste, but, like, that is, like, gotta be, like, one of the one of the best like guitar tones that has like ever been like laid to, to you know, to, to ever recorded. Like, like the production on that record is just insane. Like it just sounds so good. And like, and to this day, even speaking as an engineer, like getting that mixture of like, cl- like clarity and like fuzziness is like, that's a hard, it's hard to do that. Like, I'm just like, dude, you can completely understand like what he says. Like the vocals are like completely intelligible, but like the guitars are like thick and like powerful. Like Yeah, they uh,
0: envelop you in a way. It's Yeah.
1: Just... Yeah, exactly. Like Alan Mulder is just like like he's like an interdimensional being or something. I'm just like, What do you how do you <laughs> even do that? Like I've tried I've tried it a lot. <laughs> like it's just yeah, it's just production-wise, it just sounds so. Um, sounds I think I bought
0: amazing. one of those pedals that they use. What is it, a big muff or something? Oh, I the big, mu-
1: oh is that what, they, what they're I using? I think that yeah. says I mean, one of the, the yeah. classic. I mean, it's just it's you know, like kind of a basic, kind of a basic distortion pedal. Like, but it's just like, and last thing about it, but it was like, um, you know, listening back over things, uh, you know, for this podcast or whatever. It's another one. It's just like, like how many like. How many singles are off of this record? There's like four singles off of this. Like, yeah. I'm just like, wow. There's like a bunch of um, uh, like, yeah. It's just like sort of striking. It's like "Disarm" was a hit. You know, "Today" was a huge hit. Like, I'm just like, I was like, wow. There's like quite a bit of like, sort of striking that it's all off the same record. Um, and then to finish to echo what you said, Jim. But it's like Cherub Rock" is a Cherub Rock" is a perfect song. Yeah. Like, it it, can't, it like can't be improved it's just like and and i i would even say that that's got to be like one of the best album openers that of 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 all time like
0: one of my favorite just, things that exists on youtube and it's like 30 seconds long yeah is just seeing jeff buckley at a record store hearing Cherub rock come on the speakers yeah. and just starts moving to it and just <laughs> oh it makes me so happy just uh, to see so that good. Love uh, that! Wow. Yeah, no, that was uh, a lot of game changers came out this year. Yeah. Just like things that you kind of go, "Holy shit! I can't believe all of this happened in the same year." Um, and I'll run through some honorable mentions, and we can all the other t- you other two can do the same. Um, uh, Counting Crows, August, and everything after. Uh, I think this was Frank Zappa's last album, but he had an album called The Yellow Shark, which was just him conducting an orchestra, (laughs) which has to be heard to be believed. Um, Matthew Sweet's Altered Beast, uh, Morphine, Cure for Pain. Oh, nice. Depeche Mode, Songs of Faith and Devotion, A Tribe Called Quest, Midnight Marauders, Uncle Tupelo, Anodyne, Slow Dive, Slovakia, Diggable Planets, Reaching a new refutation of time and space, yeah. and I was hard. I, I wanted to go with uh PM Dawn as well because uh, I, was, I was trying to decide between Diggable Plants and PM Dawn, but I went with Diggable Plants and last but not least, the Flaming Lips transmissions from the satellite heart. Okay, whoever wants to go next, yes, go, sure,
2: yeah, I've got a. Siamese Dream, Pablo Honey, Republic by New Order, Ooh. Organics by The Roots, Black Sunday by Cypress Hill, Cure for Pain by Morphine, Into the Labyrinth by Dead Can Dance, Show by The Cure, So Tonight That I Might See by Mazzy Star, yeah. uh, 10,000 Maniacs Unplugged, uh, Code Red by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, oh, really? and Lethal Injection by Ice Cube. That's a good record. Mm. Boom, shake the room. But, uh, yeah, holds up.
0: Wonderful. Okay, Jason, what do you got?
1: And I only wrote down. Um, uh, I'm reading all this off of my phone, so I actually only wrote down five uh, runners up. Um, I have more like on my my computer, but uh, um, but my some five runners up for me is teker in uh is number one. It's more hipster trash. Uh, <laughs> Like you can expect from me, uh, this is our first record. I, I'm pretty sure, uh, really holds up. Uh, County Crows, August and everything out after, which we've talked about. Um, I I hate God. Take us needed for pain. Uh, nice, Whoa. really fantastic. Uh, I think we should do a follow up record. Like we should do a, a be- best metal of '93 because, like, man, there's there's like there a. Bunch of just like killer uh, Metal albums this year but Yeah I Hate God particularly good one uh, Sepultura Chaos AD Which I had a real hard Time not putting that on my top 10 like uh, And then uh, Earth, Earth 2
0: to, to finish Sweet My god there's even some records I, I I need to actually listen to. I'm excited. This is this is one of the joys too of doing this is, yeah. going. Oh crap! I'll add this to my playlist. Even though we're gonna have to prep for next year's episode on 1994. That's true. Oh my lord! I can't wait to make that playlist and see what what is coming what comes out for that year. And yeah, this is always a blast. Thanks thank you, thank you to the both of you for doing this. This is it's not only just a great reunion, but it's just a great celebration of something we all love dearly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Dan, uh, where can people find your stuff on the, on the interwebs? Uh, follow you. Uh,
2: you can follow me. I'm still technically on Twitter, uh, but not using it, uh, quite so much these days. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, uh, at texasmonthly.com, you can find the book, The Fight for Midnight, at bookstores or anywhere uh, books are, are sold. Uh,
0: yeah, that's, that's where I am. I will link to that, of course, in the show notes. All right. Uh, Jason, where can people follow you?
1: Uh, so most of my – on most social social uh, platforms, I'm, uh, I'm I'm under uh, for, Forest Punk with a 3 for an E. So F O R three S T P U N K and that's Twitter and Instagram. That's where you can find me. And, uh, and then like as you mentioned at the beginning, there is like some, my own blog, which is, um, uh, forestpunk.wordpress.com. And then, uh, worth noting, just like my, my, a brief shout out, a, a, a new project that I've just begun, but it's, it's called Thesp- Thespiae. Uh, which is also a WordPress site. So, uh, so that's T H E S P I A I at wordpress.com, which is where I'm doing all of my writing on, um, other, uh, art, art forms uh, like non-music. So like, that's where I'm, I've been writing about visual arts and, um, a lot of book like literature stuff. Um,
0: excellent. Well thank you both so much again and everybody just uh yeah visit directorsclubpodcast.com. Send me an email at directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com. The next official director-centric episode will be on Carl Franklin coming up, I think in early July. That's probably the uh, time it'll be released. But uh yeah, just stay tuned to the usual places like Twitter, Instagram, and all that. Uh, and I hope you all enjoyed this wonderful discussion with two uh very special people that I'm grateful to know. Thank you everybody and good night.
3: I want to hold the hand inside you. I want to take the breath that's true. I look to you and I see nothing. I look to you to see the truth. You live your life, you go a shadow. You'll come apart and you'll go blind. Some kind of night.